True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. was an innocent person who, while working at night, was set upon by a couple of deranged scum. Now, this is the case of the rape and murder of Sandra Hall. Now, before we get into it, I hope you're all well. A big shout out to all those who are essential workers and those in the healthcare industry. And a big shout out to all of those, like me almost, who are stuck in ISO. Hopefully we can get through this soon one way or another. Now tonight I'll be referencing the Sydney Morning Herald with a special mention to Bernard Lagan for his piece in the Spectrum liftout of the Sydney Morning Herald on the 3rd of January 1998. Also I referenced The Age, The Daily Mail, ABC and of course Court Records. And as I always say with my court records, I'm not reading them directly from the record. I will change it around to make it easier to listen to. Now, as I said at the start of tonight's show, tonight's case is another one of those senseless killings. It all happened way out west at Walgett, which is about 691 kilometres or 429 miles northwest of Sydney. Now, Walgett has a population of around 6,000 people or so and was listed as one of the most socially disadvantaged areas in New South Wales in a 2015 report titled Dropping Off the Edge. So let's get stuck into it. It's November 1994 and 21-year-old Sandra Hoard had just finished her nursing degree at the University of Western Sydney, MacArthur. She moved to Walgett and was living with her police officer fiancé, David Taylor, who had been posted to the area about a year before. They lived together in his police barracks accommodation. Sandra had been working unpaid shifts at the old Walgett District Hospital to learn the ropes. Now, the Walgett District Hospital is on the Castlereagh Highway, or Fox Street as it's known locally, and it's surrounded by a couple of sports ovals, empty paddocks, and beyond that, is the to the rear, is Walgett Airport. Now, as I said before, it's a small country town, and the hospital is right on the southern edge, and it's quite isolated. On Thursday, the 8th of December, Sandra got dressed in her nurse's gear of blue slacks, white shirt, with her hair tied back with a hair tie, and she went to work the graveyard shift at the hospital. Now, she would only be doing her second paid shift. As I said before, she had worked unpaid shift just to get experience and see how it all worked at this hospital. She was assigned to work at the Peg Cross Ward, which was the geriatric wing of the hospital, and she would be working there alone. That night, there were two cousins walking the street, 24-year-old Vesta Fernando and 23-year-old Brendan Fernando. Vesta and Brendan had grown up together in Walgett 
and Vesta's family moved to Dubbo, and that's about 300 kilometres away. And he left school at 15 years of age. He would often return to Walgett between the odd jobs he was able to hold. Vesta was an alcoholic alcoholic by age 16. He smoked pot and took Serapax whenever he could get his hands on it. Now, when he committed his crimes, he was usually drunk and violent. Brendan Fernando was described by Professor Susan Hayes as having the coping skills of a six-year-old, the ability to form relationships of a seven-year-old and an IQ of 59, and that he was probably brain damaged from years of drinking alcohol, sniffing petrol, sniffing glue, smoking pot and taking whatever prescription pills he could get in his gob and he also shot up smack. He was so out of it every day that he couldn't recollect the last couple of years of his life. That said, he became a father at 16 years old, and by 1994 he had five kids to three different mothers, and he rarely worked a day in his life. This Thursday was the second Thursday of the month, and social security money was flowing straight into the local pub. By 11am, Brendan was drinking with his rellos in their backyard, the women on bourbon and the men on beer. By 6.30pm, Brendan was drunk and, as he said, charged up. At the same time, Vesta drove up from Bawarana about 70 kilometres to the west of Walgett and he dropped his bags at his sister's house. Vesta had been drying out in rehab there and was keen to start drinking again. He took off for the Imperial Hotel in town. Vesta and Brendan would meet just after closing time at a shop opposite the Imperial Hotel and both were rotten drunk. They kept drinking beer from long necks they bought at the Butlow for about another hour or so. They went back to Brendan's house to smoke a few joints and then went walking the streets, saying they were going to look for more drinks. At around midnight, the pair bumped into 19-year-old Robert Fatboy Walford. Now, Vesta had an issue with Fatboy, as he had the view that he'd harmed his father in some way. Now, Vesta grabbed him, and he held a machete to his throat. Now, apparently this confrontation lasted for about half an hour, before Vesta and Brandon let Fatboy go. At around 1am, Vesta and Brandon saw 19-year-old Michael Jackson. After smoking a joint with them, Vesta asked Jackson if he wanted to go to the hospital and steal a car. Now Jackson declined the offer, then Vesta said, Don't worry about anyone grabbing you, Mick. I got a machete here. Vesta then pulled up his shirt and showed him his machete and said, If anyone grabs you, I'll kill them. When we steal the car, we're going up to Queensland. We'll be right, Mick. I got people up there. Jackson again declined the offer and the trio turned left off Fox Street into Sutherland Street and kept walking down Peel Street where they turned right and walked down the corner of Peel and Jewish Street where Vesta walked into his sister Wendy Fernando's place. Michael Jackson then moonwalked away. Here, Vesta grabbed a screwdriver to break into a car. Now, once they had the screwdriver, they walked back to the hospital 
via Jewish Street and onto Fox. In the hospital car park, they saw a blue Mitsubishi Sigma station wagon owned by a Mrs. Wells, whose partner at the time, Adam Jackson, was working a shift at the hospital. Now, Vesta used the screwdriver to break into the car. He stole a Bon Jovi Better Roses, a meatloaf and a Rocky Burnett cassette tape. He stole sunglasses and photographs of Mrs. Wells' children and some paperwork belonging to her former husband. Now, these photos had been inside the cassette covers. He put these items in an orange bag that was in the car. And by orange, I don't mean the colour orange, but it was a bag that had contained oranges. Now, while he was stealing the items, he saw that someone was watching from a window inside the geriatric ward of the hospital. Now, Vesta told Brendan to go into the hospital to check her out, and then he followed, but entered the ward from another door. Vesta then grabbed Sandra and threatened her with the machete. Now, there's two slightly different versions of what happened next. So first, I will tell you Brendan Fernando's version. He says, as this was going on, an elderly patient called out. He called out, nurse, nurse, where are you? Then Vesta grabbed her and took her to the old fella, stood around the corner with the blade behind her back. Now, Sandra spoke to the old fella. He was saying he wanted to go to the toilet, and she replied with whatever Vesta told her to say. The old fella then went to the toilet. On his return, he saw Vesta and said, What you doing? Vesta then hit the old fella in the head with the machete, and he fell down unconscious. Now, the other version from the old fella is similar, but he said he got up because he was woken by screams and the sound of furniture being overturned. He went to look and was hit by one of the two men and fell unconscious for about 10 minutes. So, very similar accounts, but which one is accurate is hard to say, but it probably doesn't matter. Anyway, Vesta and Brandon then dragged the nurse, Sandra Hoare, outside, walked her across Pitt Street and into the number two oval. All the way, Vesta had the machete to Sandra's throat, telling her, and just a bit of a warning on this, there's some very foul language, You scream, bitch, you're gonna get it. I'll cut your throat, you cunt. Simple as that, you slut. Now, when they get to number two oval, it's here that Sandra is stripped and sexually assaulted by Vesta as Brendan held her down. They then partially redress her and force her to walk through the paddock towards the airport. It's here that Vesta wonders what to do next. He's a bit crazy walking around with the machete to Sandra's throat saying, What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now, Brendan replies, You got us into it, cunt. You get us out of it. It's at this point that Vesta kills her with the machete. Now, Sandra would sustain a number of cuts to the jaw and two very serious wounds to her neck. Now, one of these wounds was more than halfway round the neck, but was mainly to the left side and to the back of it. The wound passed through a number of muscles, the jugular vein and the left vertebral artery. That wound alone would have caused death, but there was a second severe wound across the front of the neck 
that passed through the larynx and into the voice box. She was left there, naked, except for a pair of slacks, shoes and sockets. There was some material around her neck. The zippered fly of the slacks was undone and the slacks were secured by a single button. Now her undergarments were missing. Vesta then throws the machete and screwdriver into a nearby dam and walks off with Brendan. Now this all happened over a period of about an hour. Now if we go back to where the old fella was knocked unconscious for about 10 minutes or so, when he wakes up he goes to the main complex and alerts other nurses on duty. Now those nurses go to the geriatric ward, they find signs of a disturbance and they can't find Sandra. Now another version of this event is that Adam Jackson, the male nurse that had parked his Sigma in the car park, had at about 2.45am gone over to the geriatric ward to visit Sandra, but he couldn't find her. He did, however, come upon a patient with a head wound, and he noticed blood in the building. He also discovered that his car had been damaged. There was a broken window, and there was damage to the lock and to the ignition. He noticed that tapes were missing from the glove box, as well as sunglasses, a photograph of Mrs. Wells' children, and other items. Now, Sandra's body would be found later that day, because this is happening very early in the morning, at about 3.45pm in bushland near the airport. David Taylor, Sandra's fiancé, identified her body. Now, Pauline Hall, Sandra's mother, was then told the heartbreaking news. Now, how devastating. Her daughter is just qualified to be a nurse. She has a fiancé with a great job. She's just moved to work and be permanently with him to start the next stage of their lives together. And then this happens. Two maggots take it all away. In fact, Pauline wasn't allowed to see her daughter's body probably to protect her from seeing the shocking injuries to her face. She wouldn't even be told of these injuries until she heard them in court. Police inquiries in the small town quickly get them a couple of suspects' names. At 12.25am, Brendan Fernando was picked up by police at Walgett, while Vesta was picked up at 11.10 that morning at Dubbo, about 300 kilometres south of Walgett. Now, Brendan had told the police where Vesta had fled to. Several witnesses had seen Vesta and Brendan on the streets that night and they told police Vesta had been carrying a machete. Now Vesta, he denied everything. He denied going anywhere near the hospital. He denied possessing any machetes. He admitted the encounter with Robert Fatboy Walford but said that what he was holding at the time was a small iron bar that he'd found. He said that after that encounter with Fat Boy, he met Michael Jackson and that Jackson, Brendan and himself went to his sister's place to have a smoke and there he had remained. Now Brendan, he confessed pretty quickly. He was willing to do a run around with police to show them what happened that night. He told them about the break-in of the car, the initial abduction of Sandra how they then took her to the Oval and he held her down while Vesta attacked her. Then they took her to the paddock near the airport where Vesta killed her. 
Now, police were able to gather quite a bit of evidence. Footprints were found that led away from the hospital. There were three sets that led to a place where Sandra was attacked. At that point, there was an area of disturbed ground in a timbered area near the rugby oval. Now, in that disturbed ground, there was a black-coloured hair elastic and a pair of scissors with the name Sandra on them. There was a lens-cleaning cloth and a small metal button identical in appearance to the button missing on Sandra's blouse. There were three sets of footprints that led away from that area to where the body was found. From that point, there were two sets of footprints which continued on approximately one metre apart. The tracks led to the levee bank where part of the Bon Jovi Bed of Roses cassette cover and a screwdriver were found. There was a single set of tracks that crossed the levee bank and looped back. Then two sets of tracks moved onto the street where they disappeared. When police executed a search warrant at Wendy Fernando's place where Vesta reckoned he spent the night of the 9th of December, they found bloodied clothes an open clear plastic audio cassette cover with a portion of an audio cassette insert bearing the words Bon Jovi Better Roses printed on it. Now this matched another part of the Bon Jovi cassette cover that was found at the levee bank. Subsequently, the police found a bag in the boot of a car in which Vesta Fernando travelled to Dubbo shortly after the death of Sandra. That bag, which was identified as being Vesta's bag, contained a number of items taken from Mrs. Wells' car, including a torn photograph of her children and paper on which her ex-husband's name, address and phone number were recorded. Mrs. Wells also identified as taken from her car some children's sunglasses and they had been found in a paddock where the attack on Sandra had occurred. Vesta and Brendan were charged with murder, robbery while in company aggravated sexual assault, assault occasioning bodily harm, malicious wounding, malicious damage and stealing. Now Vesta was already on parole at the time of the murder after being sentenced to four years with a minimum term of two years for assault with attempt to rob in company. It took nearly three years for the trial to commence and the jury found them guilty of murder. In the case of Brendan Fernando, he was found guilty on the second count of sexual assault as charged. In the case of Vesta Fernando, the trial judge directed a verdict of not guilty on the aggravated sexual assault charge, but the jury found him guilty of assault with intent to have sexual intercourse without consent, in circumstances of aggravation. They each were sentenced on the murder charge for the term of their natural life. In each case, the second offence attracted a penalty of 10 years. Now, the judge mentioned that there was an element of premeditation and planning prior to the actual killing. The offence was committed in company. It was a forced abduction of the victim prior to her killing involving the use of a machete followed by an assault carried out upon her. She experienced extended concentrated suffering over a period of one hour or so from the time of her abduction to the time of her death of acute degradation and humiliation. In this regard, the injuries to her jaw and face caused by the use of the machete were a form of physical torture. 
He also found that mental torture, terror and great fear must have been present. The mental torture gaining in severity after she was assaulted at the Oval. He also said this was a case involving two strong men killing a young, defenceless and vulnerable woman who had done them no harm and committed with callous indifference to human life. And he finally said that the deceased was taken by force from a place where she would have expected to be secure and safe when working. Now, Vesta and Brandon would be placed in different prisons because they thought that Vesta might harm Brandon after he'd told police what had happened on the night. Now, Vesta denied he had anything to do with the attack on Sandra and blamed Brandon for his life sentence. Well, after a while, they both applied to be able to be in the same prison and eventually this was granted. They were then both housed in Lithgow Prison and seemed to be getting on well together. Then on September the 22nd, 1999, Vesta used a blade from a pair of scissors to stab Brendan in the face and chest, piercing his heart during a music lesson in the prison's auditorium. The tutor was distracted by one of Vesta's mates, while Vesta went over to Brendan, who was playing the drums, and then he stabbed him to death. He got 30 years for this and 22 years non-parole. But that didn't really matter as he's been tagged to be never released over murdering Sandra. Now, I'll read out a little bit from the report into the murder. Then it goes like this. Despite the fact that Vesta Fernando and Brendan Fernando had throughout their lives enjoyed a close brotherly relationship. Well, Vesta described no hesitation in ending his cousin's life in a premeditated act. He claimed that his offending was spurred by anger built up over a one-week period following a revelation made by his cousin, which Vesta claimed he did not subsequently discuss or clarify. He considers that the death of Brendan justifies his sentence, in that Brendan is responsible for taking his life, that is, the life sentence he is serving. And now his life, that's Brendan's life, is gone. Now, Vesta Fernando stated that he does not regret his actions with regards to his current offending. Little bit of karma or eye for an eye. Well, there you go. It eats its own. Now, just recently, Vesta allegedly stabbed a 20-year-old inmate 35 times in the neck, chest and back at the Mid-North Coast Correctional Centre near Kempsey and this was on April the 8th of this year. The security footage of the stabbing was leaked and I will put it on my YouTube version of this episode so if you want to see it, check out my channel. Now, I'm not sure how long the episode will stay up or if YouTube will take it down. But this video's out there and it's been reported in all the media. So I can't see any problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe I will have to digitally mosaic a bit if it does get taken down. Now, that digital mosaic stuff, that's like in those Japanese movies. Now, Vesta has been charged with attempted murder and another inmate, Aiton Munro, has been charged with aid and abet attempted murder. 
I suppose when you're never to be released, any further sentences just don't matter. They should just stick him in solitary until he dies. I mean, this scum is just a maggot. Well, in the end of all this, there will be a major change to the security of hospitals to try and prevent attacks on staff and patients. Now, back in 1994, anyone could have walked into a hospital. There was absolutely no security at all. Pauline Hoare, that Sandra's mother, sued the government over the lack of security. But (laughs) as hard as I tried, I was not able to find the outcome. So, okay, Islanders, this was another gruesome case where an innocent person, just in the wrong place at the wrong time, raped and murdered by a couple of scum. One who was already on parole. I mean, they're just gutless scum that at least now won't be back on the street. So that's the end of the show. Like I said, I'll have that video up on my YouTube channel. So you might have to be quick to get in there. I hope they don't ban me. But Patreon, thanks. We get to the Patreon bit now at the end of the show. Thanks to all my past, present and new patrons. Your financial support really does make a difference as True Crime Island is commercial free for everybody out there. Now, big thanks this week to the new patrons, Kimbo Peep. And Eloise Souden, thank you so much. Plus, there's one extra, and you might be interested to have a look at this one. Matt and Bree from Distracted and Dysfunctional, which is a podcast. I think they've got about 10 episodes. Now, Matt and Bree bring their unique experiences, quirky personalities, and passion for changing the dysfunction of our world. They share stories of life, love, relationships, family, and anything else that might come up in their lives. They desire to inspire conversation, evoke change, and challenge the audience to face distraction and dysfunction all around. So thank you all very much. It's so much appreciated. If you want to go to Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash Island. Also, for patrons, I've sent out emails for patron rewards, but not everyone has replied. Now, these are for T-shirts or the mug rewards. I just send the sticker rewards out without emailing you. So please, if you've qualified for an award, get back to me and maybe check your spam folder so I can sort everything out. I'll be emailing this month's reward people sometime during this coming week. Now, if you haven't received your reward, please get in contact. If you don't like the monthly thing, you can also donate to PayPal as the Egans did this week. And again, thanks, Heather. Thank you so much. It really, really does help. Now, the PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com. Also, support yourself before you support the island. Now, I've got Merchant, Threadless and Redbubble now. The Threadless link is on my website, and the Red Bubble one isn't, but just search for True Crime Island. You can also support the show, and this is a really good way to do it, by rating and reviewing, also by sharing it with your friends and family. Like I said, all the links, including social media, are on my website. That's truecrimeisland.com. If you want to get in touch with me, email me. It's the best way to do it. That's cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Now, I've been very busy lately with 
not only the podcast but with work. I'm finding it a little bit hard to keep up with the Facebook, the Instagram and the Twitter. So I'm sorry if I haven't answered everybody's uh, post, but I try to do what I can. Best way to, if you need to get in touch with me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Don't forget, we got the YouTube channel as well. That's coming along okay. Let's try and get a few more subscribers. Okay, that's about it for tonight. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom, fuck, a